This is the Greg Cody Show with Greg Cody. Pardon it. Here's your host, Greg Cody. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Greg Cody Show podcast. And I'm going to wish you defiantly a happy new year because I know it's January 9th when we're recording this. And some people have all these rules about when you have to stop wishing somebody a happy new year. But I don't abide by rules like that. Uh, You know, it could be March and I could be wishing you a happy new year. And if you don't like it, to hell with you. So happy new year. (laughs) Happy new year, everybody. I I am going to say that... um, we have come out of the new year uh, after the weirdest holiday in, in Cody family history. Um, we did have a bout with, uh, with COVID, with the Omicron thing that everybody seems to be catching. And um, thankfully, we, we all had very mild symptoms. We you know were vaccined and boosted up and all that. So for a few days, I felt like I'd been hit with the flu and I was lethargic and all that. But we came out of it. But we did have to. And, and I suspect there are thousands of families all over the country who did the exact same thing. We postponed Christmas, said to hell with the calendar, and actually celebrated Christmas morning on New Year's Day because of COVID. So that was uh, that was sort of a weird experience that uh, that I have a feeling a lot of people listening uh, maybe have a similar story to tell. But um, we're happy to have come out of it, and now we have a big episode. I know I say that every episode, but uh, this time wait, I wait, 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 Greg, 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 Greg. Not only is this a big episode. This is now a championship podcast. The host of this podcast is now the champion of the PFPI Fantasy Football League, Greg's Lobos, (laughs) ran by Greg Cody. Hats off to you, Greg. Hats off to you. I I appreciate that. And uh, I also like the fact that you actually are wearing a hat as you say that. I hate it as a pet peeve of mine when people (laughs) say hats off to somebody and they're not wearing a hat. So there you go. Hats off to you, Greg. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you. Craig Slobos did win the, the PFPI championship for the first time in its 13 year history. So that's a big deal. We're celebrating around here. And, uh, you know, we we welcomed back Hard Knocks to wrap up our season. So we have a great Hard Knocks uh, Lobos finale for you uh, coming up very soon. And then we get to our special guest who sat in most of the podcast, uh, the great uh, animal expert and and. Uh, animal lover uh ron mcgill of zoo miami down here and um it's fascinating this guy his love for uh wildlife and and his passion for it and uh we have some fun with ron so that'll come up a little bit later uh but first this is exciting one of the highlights of my life winning the pfbi championship that may speak ill of my life in general but still (laughs) it's, it's it's one of the highlights of my life so let's get right to it Wednesday, 11 a.m., Lobo's Headquarters. Celebration ensues as Greg's Lobo's revel in their first PFPI fantasy victory. Everybody, I know the winning gets y'all stimulated and riled up. Let's quiet down for a minute and give it up for Coach. Oh, Woo! Yeah! Woo! My Lobos. Yo, Coach! Woo! My cherished mountain climbing Lobos. The single greatest team ever assembled. Bows, you did it. Yeah, we you did it. You did it. You made Greg's Lobos 
PFPI Fantasy Champions. Oh, yeah. First time in the 13-year history of the league. Together, we put a giant Lobo Mint under our team pillow and dream big, didn't we? Minting it! And you know what happened? We accomplished even more than we dared dream. I am wrought with emotion today, my bows, because I know this is the last time we'll ever meet as one other than next week's victory parade when we'll all ride in open-air Ticonderoga wagons pulled by bison in a three-month journey around the outer perimeter of the continental United States, Key West to Maine, to Washington State, to San Diego, to El Paso, and back to Key West as we toss Lobo Mints to the dozens of fans along the route cheering our accomplishment. I want to single out our 200-point scorers. Stand up when I call your name, Aaron Jones, yeah. Mike Evans, oh, Mike. Lamar Jackson, Ezekiel Elliott, Belly. Keenan Allen, and our most valuable Lobo and Rookie of the Year, that's right, Jamar Chase. You were chasing the championship for us, and you caught it. Rook, 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 rook. Also, a special mention to our 16th round and final draft pick who came up so big for us when L. Jack went down. Thank you, Joe Burrow, our burrowing owl. (coughs) I also need to say one thing about our championship game strategy in which we defeated Chris Cody, 136 to 130, because the media got it all wrong, as the media so often does. See... L. Jack sat out that weekend for his other team, the Ravens, with a sore ankle. We knew that, but the Lobos started L. Jack anyway. A little questionable, Coach. Knowing we'd get zero points from him and trusting we'd reign as champions just the same. How'd we know it? Why'd we do it? To honor L. Jack and because the night before the championship game, a Lobos mint transmogrified into human form, appeared apparition-like in my bedroom, and told me that was the way. Is it more of a gummy? You know what? It was the way! The Lobos have balls the size of grapefruits. Ball in it! And now balanced on those balls is the most prestigious trophy in sports, the PFPI Fantasy Championship Cup. Yeah! From which pours the most famous three words in sports. We What a tribute to a great season by the Lobos. Thank you, my bows. Thank you, Hard Knocks, for being along for the ride. Um, uh, we haven't been renewed for a second season of Hard Knocks yet, but we sure are optimistic because if you're Hard Knocks, why would you not want to saddle up the PFPI Fantasy reigning champions for another year? Am I right? Now, as we throw it to McGill, and you're going to love this conversation, I want to say we spoke to Ron the day that a third 
bald eagle baby was born, was hatched at his site. And he was excited as I've ever heard Ron McGill. And he's an excitable man when he's talking about wildlife and animals. But he was so thrilled to have this third eagle baby hatched. And uh, he mentioned in the conversation that uh, it may not make it uh, because of various reasons. And sadly, he was proven true. I want to say that the third eaglet uh, did not survive. But uh, he was so thrilled and talks about that at length. So here's uh, our good friend Ron McGill. Wait, way to bring it down, Greg. What a downer. Hat's back on to you, Greg. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I just wanted to warn the people that, you know, Ron's going to talk about this third eagle. And, you know, in the in the, the name of transparency, I wanted to be honest with the people with my great pot family and, uh, and tell you that the third eagle did not make it. But the third eagle in all of our thoughts. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, Ron. Cody's, how y'all doing, man? What's Good. up? How are you doing? I'm peachy. Got three chicks. <laughs> okay. Excellent. Three chicks? Eagles, uh, baby eagles are called chicks? I didn't know that. Yeah, chicks or eaglets. Chicks is fine. Really? Yeah, the third one hatched this morning on Three Kings Day. Come on, Greg. Could you write a better script than this? The first one hatches on New Year's Day. The third one on Three Kings Day. Come on. Oh, we got the new. Okay, I thought you were still on cloud nine from the other one. So we got oh, them now. No, it hatched out this morning. Yes. Number three hatched out this morning. Yes. Okay. Wow. That's good. Congrats. All right. Now I'm, I'm, I'm excited again because before I was like, oh, he's just happy well, from last week's. But nope, we're back. I don't want to get you too excited because the likelihood is the third one won't survive because he's you know, he's born so much later and he's less, he's, he's, you know, not nearly as strong. The other ones are going to beat the hell out of him. The yeah, odds are right. against that he's going to survive, but listen, he's born on three Kings day. So I'm thinking that might be an omen. That might be like, we got three chicks on three Kings day. They should all three grow up to be royalty. How great would that be? I'm Ron. I, I want to be honest. When, when I've been seeing you all around, I saw you on NBC. That's what made me want to have you on here. I saw you on NBC making the rounds and like, this is huge and you're super excited about it. It's Ron and Rita are the mama and papa, right? And I had nothing to do with naming those right. words. No, I know. It's a big honor that was given to us. It is an honor. But it's just like, I, I, I've sensed your excitement and I want you to explain to me why you're so excited because I, I hope this doesn't come off the wrong way. Oh, I, I haven't gotten that. Like, I felt like a bad person because I was like, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't, I'm not that excited. And I just, I want you make me like, make me care like you do. Chris, Chris, let me tell you something. First of all, we're talking about our national symbol, a bald eagle that was almost extinct in the 70s. Okay. Wow. We saved it thanks to the Endangered Species Act. Now we've got them here in Florida. We've got this pair of birds. And the reason I'm so excited about this particular pair is because they had a nest. Okay. Last year, and they had two chicks in the nest and the nest collapsed in a storm. One of the chicks died. The other chick we were able to save, it had a badly broken wing. We had we had surgery on it. We saved it. Uh, I worked with Lloyd Brown, you know, Wildlife Rescue of Dade County, worked with him. He saved that bird, taught that bird how to fly because it was just a chick when it fell out of the nest, hadn't learned how to fly or anything yet, taught it how to fly, taught it how to hunt. The experts say uh, you'll never be able to release that bird back in the wild because the wing was badly broken. You'll never be able to do a good surgery on it. Dr. Don Harris, this guy did the surgery, 
We went against all the odds, taught the bird how to hunt, not only taught it how to hunt, but we taught it how to eat iguanas. It learned to love iguanas. So then we went out to Everglades National Park. I had the mayor, Mayor Levine Kava, come out, open the door to release that bird. That bird flew away. I'm telling you, we were all in tears. So we're thinking to ourselves, gosh, we've got to, what can we do to help these birds? Because for the last several years, they haven't been able to successfully fledge a chick because the nest has collapsed. For whatever reason, they chose a really crappy tree to build this nest in. It's an Australian pine tree, a horrible eagle tree. So we said, listen, Lloyd came to me and said, Ron, what if we build a platform that they maybe will come and then build a nest on the platform that's more secure? I said, my God, let's try it. Let's do it. You know, I funded it all through my endowment. Everything's been funded through the endowment. The eagle, ex- the eagle expert said to us, hey, listen, they're not going to come back. If you build all that stuff and you install cameras up there, it'll scare the eagles away and they won't come back. Right. We said, listen, it's better to try and fail than to not try at all and have them keep on failing with this nest. We built the thing. They came back and they looked at it from far away. And then they flew away. And we said, oh, crap, it scared them. It scared them away. We sat there. And then the female flew back by herself. And all of a sudden, she landed on it. And we went, oh, my God, she's on it. She's on it. She's not afraid of it. But she only stayed on it for like two minutes and then flew away. And we went, damn, she's not going to come back. And I'm telling you, it was just like an hour or so later, her and the male come flying back with these huge sticks in their talons. And they're putting it on top of the the, the, the artificial platform. And they started building a nest. Great. And we're like, oh, my God, they're building the nest. Anyway, I'm rambling on, but they oh. built the nest. And then then what happened was, so we're thinking, okay, are they going to lay eggs? Are they going to lay eggs? Dude, again, going against what seems like a movie script. On Thanksgiving Eve, I'm watching her the day before Thanksgiving, and yeah. she's starting to shudder on the nest. And all of a sudden, she stands up, and there's this beautiful pearly white egg under her. I go, holy crap, this is like the greatest Thanksgiving thanks I could ever have. She's laid an egg. And then a couple of days later, she laid another egg. And then bald eagles usually only lay two eggs, man. That's all they usually lay. Yeah. And then she laid a third egg, which was like her telling us, dude, we got a penthouse here. You have made yeah. us luxury apartment. Wow. We're going to raise three. We can have three eggs. They felt the confidence. It was like the birds were telling us, okay, I know I'm anthropomorphizing here, okay? But it's like the birds were telling us, thank you, man. Thank you for building this home for us. We're going to raise a great family here. So now, and then, then, dude, if it's not going by the script, think about it. On New Year's Day, the first egg hatches. Like, happy New Year. Here's the beginning of the new year the day after the second egg hatches the third egg doesn't hatch for three or four days and then today boom on three kings parade we got three chicks looking at it that's why i'm excited chris this is this is fantastic story this is an animated movie like this is an anime about eagles it is an incredible story that really has so much potential Listen, Chris, I want to be honest with you, Greg, the same thing. If they can fledge one chick, it's going to be such a huge success because eagles are only successful 50% of the time fledging any chicks at all. Yeah. Okay. So if they, if they, if just one chick survives and flies off that nest, I'm going to throw a huge party, but I'm, I'm thinking these birds have defied all the odds already. Yep. You know, if they, if it's three, it's going to be freaking historical. I think I care a little more now. I honestly do. <laughs> you better after that. I'm wow. really, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Um, now, <laughs> let's like take the opposite approach to this. What animal do we have too many of that would, if they, if there was an, if they were had one that was born, you would be angry about it. Iguanas, <laughs> tegus, oh, yeah. roaches, <laughs> mosquitoes. Yeah, the anti eagles. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There okay. you go. <laughs> but Ron, I, I want to ask you another question about eagles because I had a misconception about eagles when when I would only see them, you know, pictured in books or whatever. I always imagined the the majestic national symbol 
was <laughs> a really big bird, but eagles aren't that big, right? No, bald eagles are not that big. They aren't. I mean, don't get me wrong. They're impressive. They're bigger than your average hawk. You know, a, a big female can have between a five and six foot wingspan, uh, weigh about, you know, seven to nine pounds, which is a good sized bird. Don't get me wrong. But when you look at, you know, like the biggest eagle in the world, a harpy eagle can get to be almost twice that size, you know, talons bigger than my hands. So the bald eagle, and I, and I know I get a lot of flack of, uh, uh, from people because I, I mentioned on the show once. I was you know, going to bring oh, it up. I was going to bring you it up. Were, <laughs> I, let, me, let, me, let me hit you before you hit me. Um, you know, the bald eagle really isn't what we call an opportunistic feeder. Yes, it can be an excellent well, hunter. First, say, I cut you off. Say what you said on the Levitard show. The bald eagle is basically a vulture with a good PR agent. Okay. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I'm getting I'm getting slammed on my social media platforms. Of all the guys from the show just saying, yeah, right. Why are we getting so excited about a fancy vulture? Anyway, the bottom line is it's an opportunistic feeder. You know, they're great hunters. They'll feed on fish. These birds are actually feeding on ibis. They're catching ibis and bringing them to the nest and feeding birds to this baby. It's got, oh man, it's kind of eerie. But the most bald eagles I've ever seen in my life was in Alaska at a dump. On a mountain of trash on the dump, I saw about 200 bald eagles just feeding on trash. Wow. So they are opportunistic feeders and they will take the easiest way to get food. They don't have a sense of pride of saying, I'm going to kill. I'm going to hunt. I am proud eagle. No, if there's trash there, I'll eat that too. Wow. <laughs> now, uh, Ron, why is the bald eagle the national bird? Is it unique to the United States? There are not bald eagles all over the world or no? No, they're not all over the world. They're found throughout North America. You'll find them in the United States and throughout Canada. But it is a majestic bird and is found throughout the country. And I think it's I think it's an excellent choice. You know, probably all heard the story about Ben Franklin. He wanted the turkey to be the national right. bird um, because, it's you know, it's a pretty intelligent bird. But uh, listen, I got to go with the bald eagle. It's a much, much more majestic yeah. bird. Yeah. And I hate to have to be eating our national symbol every Thanksgiving. Exactly. Yeah. Deep fried <laughs> is the best with those turkeys. I tell you that. Wow. Fantastic. Um, what What's another uh, nominee for national bird? Like what's another animal associated with America? What's the vice president? Yeah. Like <laughs> you, you, you want a bird or an animal? Either like a national symbol. The national symbol, the national mammal is the bison, uh, believe it or not. Oh, yeah. That is the national mammal of our country. Um, and it's a symbol in the sense that there were millions roaming over the land and we almost killed them to extinction. And it's not that we just killed them to extinction. People always think that it was just the, you know, the, the cowboys and the Indians that shot them. That's not the reason, the main reason why their numbers dwindled so fast. It was hoof and mouth disease. It was a disease that wiped out the majority of the population that fortunately they recovered from. But now the only original, uh, original herd of bison that have never been obliterated and have been there for all time is found in Yellowstone. But they are now starting to read, you know, breed them on different ranches. People have buffalo burgers, even though not buffaloes, they're really bison, bison burgers and stuff like that. So they are being bred uh, commercially now also. I've always been unclear whether the bison uh, and the buffalo are the same, whether those are synonyms for the same animal. No, a true buffalo is found in Asia and India. But, you know, we've been labeling the, the bison the buffalo forever here in the United States. I mean, the buffalo nickel is a bison nickel. It's not a buffalo nickel. It's a bison nickel. Wow. So, a little bit of history there for you. How about that? Ron, <laughs> with Antonio Brown in the news for just kind of for just kind of being like mentally unstable, appearing to be mentally unstable. I don't want to you yes. know diagnose anybody. But what's the example of this in the animal kingdom where there's just or maybe that you've seen at the zoo where you have a bunch of animals and then one is acting erratic in a way where you can question question what's going on upstairs. You know, you see that in the more intelligent animals. You'll see that in a troop of chimpanzees where there's a rogue, you know, a guy who 
will turn into a murderer. Sometimes chimps will turn into violent animals Jesus. And, and, and murder in their own troop. Um, you know, elephants the same way. Generally speaking, the more intelligent the animal, Chris, the more you're going to see these psychological deviations. You see it in dolphins, you know, um, dolphins, God, they're driven to do all kinds of weird things. Sometimes there was a dolphin. I remember, I think it was in San Diego that would actually go up onto piers and try to rape people was was trying to actually breed rape people on a pier it got so sexually driven to people so you know there are deviations that's in insane all kinds of, just, yeah well <laughs> i could tell you there's a lot of insane things in the animal world yeah, um, a lot of a lot of quote-unquote kinky stuff goes on there really wild stuff um <laughs> you know people think that only people have these different uh, aberrations but no you see it in wildlife all the time Wow. And what and, and what about have, what have you have any firsthand with any at the zoo? Like, like, what's your most memory of like an animal like that you guys have had to like do studies on or something because it doesn't seem well, right? You know, I don't want to get too personal, but like there's this one chimpanzee. She likes me a lot. Yeah. And, and when she sees me, she tends to go right into a, a right. rhythm of masturbation. While she smiles at me, baby. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> you know, it's flattering and a little disturbing at the same time. Yeah, that is. It's a little weird. Must be flattering, though, huh? You know, listen. It's great to be loved by anything these days, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> the world needs more love. There you go, uh, Ron. When you appear on the Levitard show, and I have the honor of asking you a question, uh, you know by now that the the circle of life idea uh, fascinates me about a zoo. Oh, you're going to ask about every time an animal dies at my zoo, Miami, my dad has to bring it up. But you know what? I got to tell you something. I, and I'm not trying to be patronizing here. Your dad asks really, really good questions, you know, and then I got to get hit by a question from Billy. Which I was going to say, I like Billy's questions. <laughs> yeah, I, I, think, I knew you were going to say yeah. that. I knew you were going to say that. And then, that. you know, I'm, I come up with the strong ones. Remember the giraffe? Like, come on, we had That's fun. historic. You know, we that's like a monumental fun. comment. I still have people texting me about that. Okay. <laughs> eh, eh, eh. Jesus Christmas. Well, um, Ron, in, in the spirit of the circle of life aspect of a zoo, which fascinates me, I want to ask you about a happy story. But first, I want to ask you uh, about Fluffy the camel who yeah. just passed away. Tell us about that, because I know very little about camels other than they it's appear a fun on name. Uh, packages like, of cigarettes. I like that name for a camel, <laughs> Fluffy. Well, you know, Fluffy was part of our interpre interpretive programs department here, where we have animals that basically interact with people. Uh, and Fluffy was part of our camel feeding experience where kids and adults alike can go out and feed them. You know, generally speaking, dromedary camels, which is what Fluffy was, the one hump camel. And what I tell people is the way to remember the difference is basically two types of camels. There's the Bactrian with the two humps, the dromedary with the one hump. You remember the difference by taking the letter D from dromedary, put it on its side, it has one hump. Letter B from Bactrian, put it on its side, it has two humps. So anyway, having said that, the dromedary camel is pretty much now what's considered a semi-domesticated animal. They don't have really wild camels anymore. There's some big herds you can find in Australia and in Africa, but the bottom line is they're usually managed by some kind of herder. Um, so they're a common animal, but they're still considered exotic by, by many people. And, and Fluffy was one that just had a really great personality. Uh, he really uh, connected with the keepers here, the keeper staff that trained him and with the public that came to see him. Unfortunately, he's for several years 
been fighting a really severe degenerative joint disease. And this is something that could be genetic, just like in some people, uh, to the point where we were treating him with so many different types of medications, as well as laser therapy, which kept him comfortable for a long period of time. I mean, he had a good quality of life, but it got to the point where no matter what we had, that had all been exhausted. Every, every means had been exhausted to keep him comfortable. He was having a hard time just even standing up and a difficult decision was made to have to euthanize him. And I got to be honest with you, Greg, as, as difficult as that decision is, I wish that people could make that decision for people, for people like me, because I've already put in my will. I said, if I get to a point where I'm not worth anything anymore, I'll move to Utah to have the euthanasia done. Because I just think we are more compassionate and sympathetic with our animals sometimes than we are with our people. You know, the thought of putting me on a bunch of machines and tubes and in a hospital existing for, for months is not something I relish. Yeah. And that's where I... I I'm very, I'm not happy, but I'm comforted by knowing that we can make sure that the animals that we love never suffer. Now, it's at great cost that you care for animals uh, at, a, at a major zoo, right? I mean, I know from just my little personal experience, before my dog passed away, uh, we were prepared to spend like $5,000 on knee surgery for the dog. Yeah. Um, and so I know how expensive animal care can be. And I can only imagine like the amount of money spent at, at your zoo in a typical year, just on, on the maintenance and care of animals. Absolutely. We spend millions of dollars just on that. Um, you know, we have four full-time veterinarians here all the time, um, and they're constantly busy. I, I don't think I ever see the veterinarian just sitting in the office, you know, looking at the computer screen. They're constantly doing things. We have so many cases that are going on. There are over 3,000 animals here, Greg, and they've got to be able to deal with everything from, you know, a tiny little frog to an elephant. So their responsibility is immense, um, and the costs are are incredible, but it is a commitment and we have a moral obligation to make sure we do everything we can for these animals. And that's why the bottom line is most of the animals you see in zoos today live much longer uh, under human care than they do in the wild because they're protected from predation, they're protected from disease, they're you know vaccinated against things. They, they don't have to worry about competing for food because it's kind of like Club Med over here for a lot of these animals. So, <laughs> you know, and, and, and people need to realize also that we don't really take animals out of the wild anymore. The overwhelming majority of animals you see in the zoo today are animals that have been born in zoos. So this is the life they know, this is the life they're comfortable with. I would not ever, that's a big word ever, but I would not support ever taking an animal out of the wild unless it's a last ditch effort to save that individual animal's life or it's an effort to save the species. And we've been able to do that with things like the California condor, the Arabian oryx, the black-footed ferret. These are species that zoos have saved from extinction. But for the most part, I would never support taking an animal out of the wild simply to put it on exhibit. I, I want to ask you a, a question about a recent 26th birthday celebration for the sloth bear. <laughs> um, two two pro- questions. You should, Number you, should one, just a- you should just ask it then. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I'm building it up. I, I want to ask and, and now I'm asking. So I've, I've reached one of my goals. Um, what the hell is a sloth bear? Because I've heard of a sloth. Right. And I've heard of a bear. I've never heard of a sloth. Bear. You know what happened, baby. We got him yeah. in the same room. And we let it happen. Am I right, Ron? Why do you always go there, Chris? Why do you always just, go there? I'm, it's a great visual. That's not what happened. The sloth bear has a long hanging coat. Looks very much like a sloth. Uh, some of the original people thought they were describing it as a sloth until they realized it was a bear. They call it the sloth bear because of some of the resemblance, at least in the long uh, single layered coat of the sloth bear. But it is nothing to do with a sloth. Um, and you're speaking of Keisha. Keisha is our... 
uh, elderly grand dame female here. She is the oldest sloth bear in any zoological institution in North America. Wow, uh, congrats. It's just the zoo, right? Yes. Do we have to call it that? It's just like zoological. What was that? Any what? Institution. Zoological <laughs> institution. I know. Okay. Like teasing. Greg, I'm trying to sound intelligent. Can you help me out here, Chris? Can you help me out, Chris? <laughs> um, and and, and the, the sloth bear was celebrated as part of the animal enrichment program at the zoo, at the yeah. zoological institution. Tell us about <laughs> the animal enrichment program and, and why it exists and what it is. You know, we have an entire staff dedicated to nothing else but creating enrichment for the animals. You know, when animals are here under human care, you just can't just put them on exhibit because that will get boring after a period of time. So there is a, a bunch of professionals, you know, people, uh, I believe our, our director of that department has a PhD in developing enrichment activities so that we can mentally and physically stimulate an animal. We'll build things like barrels that we put holes in and we put little treats in it and the animals have to learn how to twist the barrels around to get the treats out. We'll, we'll, we'll make a log that has holes in it that we put bugs into that they have to use sticks to get the bugs out to eat the bugs you know we'll make what we call these um uh bloodsicles for like the lions and tigers where we take ice and we put meat and freeze it in the center of the oh, ice at like a big delicious. block of ice looks and the animals learn to lick away the ice to get to the meat in the center so there's all oh. kind you know we we hang things from trees that they have to hit to in order to knock out some food wow like a pinata yeah it's like a big pinata that's exactly what it is so all these things are constantly changing they're constantly developing through the animal enrichment department and it's imperative for not just the, the mental health, but the physical health of the animal. Give me the example of the species that succeeds the most at this, where it's like you try to do something and they, like, they're they so smart, they get it so quick that you have to like, the next day you're like, this, yeah. this, this animal's the smartest. Show offs. Uh, it's it, it's going to be the chimps. I mean, the chimps figure things out so quickly. You know, um, you know, another animal that's really smart in, in figuring out problem solving are hyenas. Hyenas really solve things very quickly and they can work as a team. You know, they'll they'll realize we have to work together to do this. And they do these cooperative uh, types of things where they are successful in getting the, the final treat. So, you know, animals think they think and they stay problem solve. Go ahead, Yeti. Yeti? Yeah, this is our producer, Yeti, by the way. <laughs> oh, hey, Yeti, how you doing? Hey, hey, hey. I thought you were calling your dad like some yeah. snow, snowman <laughs> man or something. <laughs> oh, gosh. No, great to meet you, Ron. Um, so I have a couple of questions. Uh, first, I know in the 60s, there is the zero population movement. And, and I know that we have certain governments and things like that that take population in, into consideration especially like in china how they would reduce or um they put a legal limit on the amount of kids you're able to have do we see a similar awareness in certain populations of the animal kingdom and do they stop reproducing to try to take things like that into account the irony is yeti that animals usually will stop reproducing when the environment no longer supports the numbers uh, we as humans have not learned that but animals do you know, for instance, I'll give you a, a real interesting fact. Kangaroos, kangaroos, once a female gets pregnant, she is usually always pregnant or with a joey in her pouch. But she has the ability, if there is a drought, for instance, she has the ability to stop the development, suspend the development of the baby in her in, in her reproductive tract, okay, until it starts raining again. That's wild. So it, it, it's freaking amazing, okay? Elephants, for instance, they talk about elephants, how, um, you know, they will destroy everything and you let them explode. In the no, elephants have been shown to stop reproducing 
reproducing when uh, there are droughts, when there is not availability of food, they actually stop reproducing. Same thing happens with birds. Birds will hatch out a certain amount of eggs. And many times, if there's a, no abundance of food, if there's a drought, if there's some kind of you know sickness going through, they will not reproduce. They will not create as many eggs. So animals tend to self-control their populations. And if they don't, they'll die off. For instance, with deer, you know, when we started wiping out the populations of wolves and mountain lions, the natural predators of deer, their populations would explode to the point where they would die of famine and they, they you know, they would die of disease. Um, and that's kind of nature's way of controlling. It. So um, nature has a way of controlling those things. Do they stop like having sex or do they have ways to, you know, like, like, like birth control? Of sorts. You know, they, they would stop, some of them would stop having sex because when the abundance of food or water is not there, they will not, the females will not cycle. For most animals, the sex is, is instigated by the cycling of the female, her releasing the pheromones. If she's not cycling properly because of lack of proper nutrition or water, it's not going to stir on the male. Right. However, there are some exceptions to that. Things like dolphins, things like pygmy chimpanzees, they, those things have sex for fun. Okay. They, they have sex male on male, female on female. They, uh, the, the pygmy chimpanzees, for instance, are the least violent of all the primates. They solve everything with sex. There's, there's very little actual violence when there's a conflict. It's, you know, I'll give you some oral sex here. You give me some oral sex here. Yeah. (laughs) And it doesn't matter. It's male on male, female on female, uh, three, three sums, four sums. Everybody gets into it, but it calms down everything. It's the least violent of the primate society. Randy animals. Now, now Yeti came in very presumptuous with a, I got three questions for you. And I was thinking that's very like, you know, look at me, but that was a good question. So I will grant you, sir. Your next question. Awesome, awesome. I called into the show several years ago and asked that one, and you didn't put me oh, through. Jesus. So. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Wow. So you've been holding on to that question for McGill that for long. For at least I three years. That. You got it. Um, I love it. <laughs> now, um, and then, so my, my nephew has autism, and they've just moved close to us. So this is our first chance of really getting to know him and seeing how he interacts. Do we see autism in other people? And, and other types of animals? Absolutely, we do. And what's really interesting is that you'll see that, um, you know, we, we see it, or at least we can identify it easier, of course, in the more intelligent animals. Did you see the way they socialize with each other and how they react to certain stimulus around them? What's interesting is how you see animals are actually compassionate many times towards the autistic animal. Uh, we see that in primates quite a bit, um, where we see behaviors uh, that are displayed by a primate that, that reflect autism. And the primates do not gang up on that primate, but they tend to, to, to help them, to support them, you know, to help them gain food or to, to comfort them in times of, of, of stress. It's really interesting. Um, and what you'll also notice with autistic children, there are various therapies with horses, with dolphins, that seem to make a really strong connection with these autistic kids. Even nonverbal autistic children uh, display a type of emotion that their parents say they've never seen prior to what they see displayed when, when this child is, is you know, associated or gets close to a dolphin or gets close to a horse or gets close to an animal, a dog that seems to have some sixth sense to understand this. I mean, there's so much we don't know about animals. And I think that there's so much that they can sense about us that really uh, is beneficial for the quality of life for both. Question number two, heartstrings were pulled. You've been granted your third question. First, Greg Cody, <laughs> would you like to speak on your podcast before he gets to his third question? Uh, yes, I would. I, yes, I would. Uh, I, I want to remind Ron of the first time he and I ever spoke. And I don't know if you recall this, Ron, because it's going back, I would say mid, mid-90s, if I had to guess. And 
Yeah. I was doing a, a very silly, you know, column on uh, what animals would make the best offensive linemen on a that's football right. team. And wow, doing Levitard before Levitard. Yeah, he right. was. Yes. Your dad, your dad was the very beginning of that, of that <laughs> whole concept. Your dad planted that seed. Look at that's that. right. Thank you for that. Um, but <laughs> the, the reason I bring it up is that I didn't know you at the time. I had no idea what your personality was. And I was terrified to, to get you on the phone because I didn't know whether you would play along with the ridiculous premise or not. But thankfully, you did. And um, and uh, the, the reason I bring it up is that I have only known you as the face of Zoo Miami, uh, Metro Zoo before then, uh, before that. Um, what jobs did you have before the one that became your beloved career. Sure. My very first job was picking mangoes for Mitchell's Mango. It's $5 an hour, which at the time in the early, late, mid 70s was a ton of money. I was killing it. $5 an hour. And I got to eat all the mangoes I wanted, which to me is fruit of the gods. I could live off of mangoes. Okay. It's my favorite food on the planet. Really? Not a little too sweet for you? No, man, especially those tree ripened ones, because at Mitchell's mangoes, the ones that were tree ripened, they couldn't use. They had to have them green enough where they could ship. So the tree ripened ones, we got to keep. And oh, my God, it was just like heaven on earth. So that was my very first job. And then my second job was being a maintenance guide for the Miami Serpentarium for Bill Host. And that's where I first got my foot in the door and working around animals. And I gradually moved my way up to being a guide, then a keeper. And then I was eventually the curator of reptiles there, where I was working with the crocodiles, with the cobras, with everything else. And that really got me so fascinated about wildlife. So that was my first job before I went off to the University of Florida. At the University of Florida, I worked under- This was before college? That was all before college? (laughs) That was before college, yeah. Jesus. And and then, uh, well, my very first, actually, my very first job- was throwing the Miami news in the afternoon. Oh boy. That was my very first job. I had an old Schwinn bicycle with the two pads in the back and I, I threw see. the Miami news in Cutler Ridge. Wow. Uh, that, was, that was the day when the Herald was the morning paper and the news was the afternoon paper. That's right. I <laughs> That's remember right. that well. So that was, I, I did that, that well. when I was 15, 15 years old. That was my first job. Anyway, then I graduated, went to the University of Florida and as part of a, a National Science Foundation grant, I did a ton of work working with um, with alligators and crocodiles and spent seven weeks in Mexico, going through every state in Mexico, studying the herptofauna of Mexico. I remember that well because a young guy I was invited to go with two of my professors and I was kind of like the uh, interpreter. I was a Spanish guy and we'd get stopped at every state line by the federales, which were these young Mexican guys, basically, you know, with machine guns, they'd stop you and they always wanted a bribe. And I learned the best bribe that we could give them back then, you know, the late seventies, we had a stack of playboy magazines. <laughs> and every time, I'm, I'm not making this up guys. We would go, we'd say, here's a playboy magazine. Andale, andale, gracias, andale. <laughs> they love those play. They love looking at those American women on those playboy magazines. It was like gold. And that was oh, better than any bribe. Yeah. Who doesn't? <laughs> and then um. I started as a zookeeper at the Cranon Park Zoo. And that was uh beginning of 1980. Here we are 42 years later. Okay, well, I I have a question to ask you, and I don't know how often you've been asked it over the years. I suspect uh, quite a bit. If I tell Ron McGill that he had to do something else as a career for a living that had nothing whatsoever to do with animals, what does Ron McGill imagine he would have done with his life? Wow. I can't imagine anything without animals. I, I I would like to have maybe been a, a news photographer, you know, a videographer for, for the news. You do, love, you do love photography. You're good at it, too. I, I really love photography. I love current events. I love the news of current events, uh, you know, uh, covering sports. I mean, covering sports photography would be a cool thing. I mean, watching athletes 
you know, do what they do is kind of like watching animals in the wild. You got to anticipate right. behaviors. You got to anticipate things. So that would be something I'd probably get into. Real quick, uh, when you mentioned like working with reptiles a lot early on, yeah. uh, what do you think of it? Just got me thinking because I one of my good friends from high school, his brother was like one of the gator boys. And I'm just oh, wondering really? what you think of like alligator wrestling in that whole. Yeah, thing. you know, I'm not a fan, Chris. Now, I got to be honest with you. Listen, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite. When I was a young guy, I did all of that crazy stuff. I handled all the animals for the show Miami Vice. Elvis the alligator. I was the animal handler for that thing. You know, it was a lot of money back then. Tons of money. I was in my 20s and I'm yeah. thinking, this is great. I'm around all these movie stars. I'm making all this money. <laughs> But in reality, I got to a point where I started turning all those jobs down. You know, I used to go on television. I used to bottle feed baby tigers and stuff like that. And I realized this is not the right thing to do for these animals. And I stopped doing it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, now, of course, everybody realizes it's not the right thing. But, yeah. you know, as a young guy, I think you get caught up in the glamour of things. You get caught up in, you know, the money. I mean, I, I never saw that kind of money in my life. Miami Vice paid for my first house. And I was like, oh, oh my God, this is like unbelievable. This is great. And, you know, all, all the girls. They love it when you're around yeah. these, you know, animals and stuff like that. So in my youth, I did a lot of stupid things, things that I'm not proud of uh, as far as working with animals, because I think I wasn't really working with them. I was more exploiting them just to, to be on television and do that kind of stuff. And that's, you know, I, when I got into my late 30s, I said, this isn't the right thing to do. And that's when I turned it around. That's when I started saying, I'm going to work for conservation. I got to turn this around. I'm going to do things for conservation. And that's what I've dedicated my life to ever since. Um, but, you know, things like the Gator Boys and stuff like that, I think it gives a bad message. I, I don't, I have nothing personal against the guys, but the message they're giving is like, let's go and Yahoo with a bunch of crocodiles and alligators. It's kind of like a rodeo type thing. Look how cool we can be. That's not, the, that's not the message we want to give people, especially kids watching this on television, because they're just going to get themselves in trouble. A kid's going to get bitten or hurt. Then the alligator is going to end up getting killed because it bit this kid. And, and it's never the animal's fault. It's always our fault. We're going to get you out of here soon, by the way. You've given us a lot. No, no worries, buddy. I'm, listen, I owe you guys forever. Ron, give us a um, a Don Johnson story from the Miami Vice days. Uh, I'm imagining him being terrified of a certain animal, and I don't know why. He was terrified of all animals. <laughs> I mean, you know, Elvis the alligator was actually five different alligators, depending on the shot. If we did a shot on the outside of the boat, we used a bigger alligator. And he had to be chained on all four legs where you couldn't see the chain. They strategically put a blanket or something like that, because Don was like, I'm not getting on a boat with a effing gator out there like that and then when we had to do it inside the cabin there were a couple of shots where we did it inside the cabin underneath the sailboat that was a smaller gator and he had to be tied up even more okay uh he was terribly afraid of those animals he was not he just he wasn't comfortable and i i get it you know this guy's a big star if he gets hurt and he loses his money i'm the thing i liked about don johnson back then is i remember him telling me he goes listen pal this is not forever i know that this is just a short little spurt and after that nobody's going to know who i am you know, he was fortunately more luckier than that, but he understood that show business was like very, very fleeting. But he also had a really bad temper on some things. I remember we had a wardrobe guy and the wardrobe, of course, in that show was unbelievable. The wardrobe guy was uh, he was such a nice person. One day we were doing a shout out on location in the Keys and Don goes jacket, you know, and the guy comes with the jacket, which he had on a, you know, like a, 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 a garment cart that was outside. And he put the jacket on Don and I guess it was warm because it was in the sun. Don took that jacket off, threw it to the ground, called the guy more names than you could ever imagine, screaming with the whole crew around, you effing moron, you think I work all day for me to put on an effing hot shirt? You got to keep that shit in the sun. I mean, he just went off the chain. And I saw a side of him that was really very ugly. I mean, I was like, wow. You know, I think he apologized later, but it was something like, you know, this wardrobe guy is busting his ass to try to make Don look as good as he 
good as he could. And Don just went off the chain on him. The one thing I remember about Don was he had his own trailer. You know, he bought he bought like this big Airstream that he then rented back to the show, which is this big scam he had. It was this great <laughs> scam. He bought this big thing and he rented it back to the show. So it paid for the scam. And it was just somewhat. But that trailer, man, there were times in that show where I would see three, four different women come in and out of there like a revolving door. They'd go in looking all spectacular. They came out looking like they were caught up in the ceiling fan. It was just unbelievable. I said, man, that guy's got it going in there now. Whoa. Real real quick on that, and you mentioned it earlier, uh, it got me thinking, where in the animal kingdom, whether it's male or female, you know, power always attracts, you know, the opposite sex attention. And where does that show the most in the animal kingdom is it lions because they're uh, at the top pretty much any 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 lions primates anything it's all about size musculature you know the lions of course it's the mane the bigger the mane the more impressive the mane the color of the mane has been shown the dark manes attract more females than the lighter manes so you know it's it's, it's interesting but it's all about size musculature and appearance you know, look at look at birds. I mean, look at the peacocks. Look at the, these birds that have to beg for it. Because in the bottom line, Chris, is that in the animal world, and it's the same way with human beings. As soon as you realize this, you're going to be happy. The female runs the show. She says if, she says when, she says how many times. Yeah. If you think you're making those decisions, you're kidding yourself. <laughs> I, I, I see and I won't. I sometimes watch the drama go down with the ducks in my neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, like the slapping of like their tails oh, and like. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, my daughter's like, daddy, what are they doing? I'm like, honey, I'm watching too. I don't really know what's happening. <laughs> well, you know, but, ducks also have, have, a, have as close to a penis as can be found in, in birds. And this, this thing comes out, looks like a, looks like a big corkscrew noodle that comes out. <laughs> it's, it's pretty oh. impressive. Yeti, you may ask your third question. All right, all right, all right. Ron, I second your emotion on mangoes. I, I took my first visit to South Florida over the summer, and I was at my friend's house, and I decided that the height of luxury, it's not money, it's not fame, it's just being able to sit in the pool in your backyard and pull a mango off a tree and eat it while in the pool. That oh was Oh, my wonderful. God, you're my man, Yeti. It was you so You are my wonderful. man, Yeti. But, um, uh, no, Time, my, that was your question. <laughs> Moving on, Greg, what would you like? My final question. <laughs> Who would win in a fight between you and the Krat brothers? I know you're outnumbered, but I think you could take them by yourself. Okay, okay. So what you're saying is I have to go against both brothers at once, Martin and... and yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeez, that's a... You know, um, can, can he bring Greg Cody? <laughs> sure why not <laughs> you know i've actually i've actually worked with the crap brothers they're great guys they're 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 really the real deal they're really good guys um i think depending on what the prize was i think i could take them though i think i could take them they're not really big guys they're they're older now well so am i shit anyway uh, but, but uh but I, I think if I go, if I go, if I go a little batshit, I could take them. <laughs> Very good. My money's on you every day, Ron. There you go, <laughs> Ron. As we get you out of here, sports in South Florida or sports in general. I know I've seen you, you know, around the town. You've gone to all the local sports teams. You're a fan. But what yeah. is the sport, the local team, or maybe it's not a local team? What is the sports team that gets you the most angry? Like, like that you have the most passion for? Give me your top two. Well, the one that gets me the most angry is the, are the Dolphins. I mean, I just I just get so frustrated, you know. And then I read your dad's columns. Still, after all these years, I'm kind of beaten down by the Dolphins. I do, I, I do, I do. You know why? Because Chris, I moved here in 1972. Okay, yeah, that's when I moved here. Oh wow, yeah, life was good. And I was like, you know, I left New York where in 1969 the Mets, the Jets, and the Knicks won it all. It was the year of, for a nine-year-old boy like me in 1969. I was like dying and going to heaven. 
Okay. Um, I come down here to move to Florida in 72 and you have the Dolphins. And I'm thinking those guys were my heroes. And ironically, some of those guys are my good friends today. You know, Dick Anderson, Larry Little. I cannot say enough about Larry Little. I'm sure your dad will say the same thing. That guy is the nicest man you could ever want to meet. He messages me. He wishes me a happy birthday. He, I, I see him at different events where we do philanthropical things. And that guy for the hero that he was, and I tell him, I said, Larry, you're such a hero to me. And he is just the guy next door. He just wants to help people. He's so humble, such a great guy. Those guys to me were real heroes. Okay. Now sports, I don't know. There's so much money. You know, you got these things like Antonio Brown. You would never have seen that crap back in the seventies. Never. Yeah. There was more self-policing back then uh, in <laughs> yes. locker rooms, I think. I think you're right. <laughs> I feel like Ron is a friends with a lot of famous people. I kind of need the Mount Rushmore of Ron McGill's friends, just in terms of level of fame that people that you're close enough with, like you're, you're, I know Paul Castronova, you're friends with that. Like those guys are local celebrities. Dan's a national celebrity. Well, Dan, probably- Dan, Dan's like a brother, man. I'm not saying yeah. this to patronize him, but Dan, and you guys know this, you know, Dan is one guy on the radio, but off the radio or off the podcast, he's yeah. a different guy. And, and Dan, very caring. Dan has a very close circle of friends and I'm really feel privileged to be in that circle. I, I, I don't know what I did to be lucky enough, but Dan is one of the most caring, he is. Uh, generous people I've ever met in my life. Um, so I would consider Dan definitely up there. Um, you know, Shaquille O'Neal, is is really been a good friend to me for many years. Those two are strong Mount Rushmore. I need let's let's what are the last two? <laughs> well, Shaquille has really been a good friend. Uh, you know, someone else who's been really, really nice to me that I she's also the real deal. I, I can't believe her. Uh Gloria Stefan. Really? Uh, Gloria is, I'm telling you, you know, I, I, I feel guilty sometimes when I ask her, I said, I, I, can you do this for me, Gloria? Can you make this little video for me or something? And she does it like right away. And she does it in her home in a beautiful background. And, and she's just really a genuine person. And, you know, I got to be good friends with, um, with her son first. Okay. Um, but, but um, we became good friends. And then I had her come out here with her grand uh, grandson and we just, she, she's just really, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I always, I always think that these people you see on television, you right. know, that they have a whole other side to them. And I've met some that do have a whole other side to them. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> yeah. But you know, Shaquille and, and Gloria and Dan, those three for me are just three people who are really, they're my friends. You know, I, I know yeah. I can call them and they will help me if, uh, if they can. Yeah. And so maybe my dad's the fourth or. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that would be a good one. You're right. You're right. You're right. No, you 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 need a fourth for Mount Rushmore uh, of, of somewhat more celebrity than uh, than my you crappy. Know, I'll tell you uh, what, this, this, per- this person's not a celebrity, so to speak, but he's a gentleman that I idolize and who has been a mentor to me for the last 20 years of my career and has always guided me the right way. And that would be Dave Lawrence. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Dave Lawrence. Interesting. The former Herald publisher. Exactly. He has been such a... I'm glad you said that, Dad, because I don't know if a lot of people knew that. <laughs> that <was> a <laughs> yeah, nice a lot of people probably don't know him by yeah. name, maybe, yeah. but he has made such a huge... And he's just... He's been such a huge moral compass for me. Uh, he is... You know, when the good things happen, he's like the first one to call and the first one to say congratulations. And, um, you know, when bad things happen, he's also the first one to console me. So he's he's been a, he's been a really important person for me. He had um, an interesting post-journalism career. Didn't he get into um, uh, the youth education? Uh, yes, the Children's Trust. Yeah. The Children's yeah. Trust. He does. That's his that's his passion now is trying to help 
educate children. That's his passion. Right. And and speaking of that, as we let you go, Ron, Levitard listeners know it well, but uh, tell us again about uh, your large endowment, about <laughs> your large endowment and uh, what it does and how people can contribute if they wish. Well, listen, I, you know, as I said before, I didn't come to work at the zoo to work for an attraction. I don't ever support taking animals out of the wild to put them in captivity. I work at the zoo to protect animals in the wild. I want to be a voice to protect them in the wild and I want to support those wild efforts. Um in that light, I created an endowment to have sustainability. For those who don't know what an endowment is, it's a, it's a block of money that you you put into a, an investment account that you cannot touch. You can only use the money that that money produces. So you have sustainability. Year after year, you have money coming from that. Um, Hopefully, it's not in crypto right now. <laughs> no, it's not in crypto. <laughs> anyway, uh, so I started this endowment years ago, and it was a modest endowment. And then, you know, people like you guys and Dan and the incredible Levitard army. I mean, those the fans of Levitard are the most dedicated, loyal, philanthropic people I've ever known of any commercial entity in my life. Uh, this endowment has provided tens of thousands of dollars annually to go directly to helping protect animals in the wild, whether it be uh, providing you know, motion cameras to study them, providing radio collars to study them, uh, supporting the biologists who are staying in the field to help study them and protect them. These are the things that we do with that money to protect anti-poaching squads. Um, that money goes only to help animals in the wild. And uh, it is, you know, it's totally tax deductible. Uh, we've done great things. We've bought vehicles for researchers to go out there and do their work, to do the rounds, to protect these animals. Uh, it is what I'm most proud of in my entire career. Uh, and I'm really grateful, again, at the risk of sounding patronizing to people like you guys who, um, who have been so supportive. You know, what you've, you've enabled me to do is you've enabled me not to have to preach to the choir. I think a lot of my peers make that mistake. They always preach to the choir. And here I've had a whole great extra amount of audience that is not necessarily all nature lovers, but I found out have become nature lovers because of their exposure to what we do on the show. And uh, it's something that I can never thank you guys enough for. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I know we do a lot of tongue in cheek stuff, um, but I, I, I really appreciate that. And, you know, one of the things I learned from working with my good friend, Don Francisco, for so many years on Sabado Gigante was you cannot take yourself too seriously. It was one of the best pieces of advice he gave me. Um, people sometimes will say, God, don't you get upset when those guys are busting your balls in a show? I go, absolutely not. Uh, that attention to me is gold. And uh, I, as Poppy would say, I get the show. <laughs> exactly. And we appreciate and, you, Ron, honestly. Yeah. You're always so no, great we, to us. No, we do. You're a, you're a South Florida legend. Um, now, Rip Tua. Is Tua the guy for the Dolphins? Yes or no? No. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, he's fine, right? He can be a starter, yeah, he's a, he's but, but he's a not elite. He, he's like the he, 23rd he, best quarterback in the league. You know, he and he's a great guy. I hate saying that because I think he's got a great moral compass. I think he's got yeah. great integrity. I think he's got a great work ethic. I just don't think he has the physical ability to be that franchise quarterback. Yeah. Thank you, wow. Ron. Thank you. You're the best. You're the best. Happy New Year to all of you. Yeti, it's nice meeting you, brother. You as well, Ron. We'll see you around. <laughs> How'd you get that name? Uh, it, it's kind of a joke on my wife. Every she, when I was on Facebook, she'd get into my account and change it to a Sasquatch because I'm, I've got size fourteen feet. I kind of lumber yeah. around. Yeah, I kind of lumber around. I got fourteen and, feet too. I got a size fourteen too, brother. Yeah, yeah. Wow, look at you two. And then, but then there's um the the brand of microphones, the Yetis or a oh, blue God. microphone makes a Yeti. This story, but, this story just lost all is interesting. I know, I know, but but they have one microphone. that's white, and I was like, that's not a blue Yeti. That's more like a blanc. Wait a minute, you looked like, at a Yeti and you're like. Like, I've seen that before. And then I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, anyways, good night, yeah, everyone. And I was like, Yeti Blanc, and it just kind of just.
came from there. So Beautiful. I am actually my, my name is actually Greg as well. Gregory Paul. Oh Christ, enough well. with you, Yeti. Jesus, let the man go. All right, thank you, Rob. Would you like to listen to my new song? I'm just See kidding. you guys later, man. Take care. <laughs> thanks, Ron. Appreciate Bye. it. All right, thanks, Ron. Really appreciate you every time you're on. I think we've only had him on a couple of other times in in two years doing this but uh he's always welcome always fun thanks again to ron mcgill of zoo miami and um thanks to you pod family most of all of course this is our first proper new podcast of the brand new year coming out of uh of of last week's best of extravaganza and uh we're thrilled that you guys are so loyal to us keep coming back every week spread the news tell your friends anybody you like who might like the podcast Uh, Become an evangelist. Become an unpaid evangelist for the Greg Cody Show podcast. And we'll see you again next week. But the third eagle in all of our thoughts. And thank you for your service, uh, eagle who barely lived with us. Okay. (laughs) Hats off to you. (laughs) 